1: Hello and welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. I am your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And I am here with my guest, Maeve. Hi, Maeve. Hi, there. You are our first Maeve out of almost 100 episodes, so... (laughs) I was saying the fake name is usually one of the trickiest parts of the podcast. Um, so Maeve, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how old you are, where you live, what you make, all that jazz. Sure. Um,
0: so I'm 25. I live right now in Manhattan. Um, I make, I'll probably make about 150000 for the year um, with a little bit of upside on bonus And I'm at a funny inflection point where I'm actually moving out of the city next week because of the crazy COVID world we're living in. So I'm kind of deciding, you know, when to come back, what rent should look like, you know, ignoring some
1: questions like, do I want to come back? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, the city. So are you able to work fully remote? Because I feel like there's been a huge exodus out of New York, because if you don't have to be in the office, then why be there and pay that rent? Exactly. So they've got us fully remote through January for now.
0: Okay. So we have a little bit of flexibility there. And then I'm pretty sure that date will likely change because mm-hmm. I feel like we'll be coming out of flu season and just all these things that are, we have so many unknowns. Yeah, I know. I
1: feel like they just randomly pick the date because they're like, it's a new year. It should be better. So we're going to start with that date. <laughs> exactly. Everyone wants to put a stake in the ground. But mm-hmm. even if,
0: you know, that remains the date. I do think there's some flexibility on perhaps remaining remote given that I started remote. This is a new position for me. I've only been there for about three months now. Oh so my gosh, I-
1: you started during this? Yes. So you've never even like, so how, how is that starting a new job and starting fully remote? It
0: was a little bit of a challenge to be honest, because I think it's hard not to be able to leverage the in-person live connection. Mm-hmm. And to really learn all the intangibles of a new job, like, what's the culture, where's the bathroom? Did yeah. you get together? Like, you know, where, where are those natural chemistries found? But I was a little bit lucky in that I knew five people um, before coming over, so I had a little bit of a head start relationally
1: and what uh what industry are you in? I feel like so you're making 150 based in Manhattan 25. Yeah, so I work in finance. Um I work for a trading venue. Okay. And then is your lease up? Is that why you're thinking of leaving or were you able to get out of your lease? Yes, my lease is
0: up at the end of September, um, so five days from when we're recording this. <laughs> and I am counting down. <laughs> I'm I'm truly counting down the days. I can't tell you how excited I am. Um, but my neighborhood has just been a little iffy. Work's not demanding us back, and it seems silly to keep shelling out these you know thousands of dollars in rent money when yeah. I'm repurposing that you know for a better next five years.
1: Oh my gosh, absolutely! So where are you thinking of moving to? So to begin,
0: I'm going to be heading south. Um, I'm going to move in with family for the next three months. Okay. And then the plan is to evaluate in January. Okay. So we'll we'll see. But I feel like the closer I get to moving, the more I start to entertain new cities as I look at what their rents look like. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what was your rent or what is your rent? Did you have five more days left? But you don't have no. to make another payment. But what was your rent in New York? 1600 Oh, that's really reasonable for New York. Having it is, but night.
0: when you factor in that it's a one bedroom flex with another human being.
1: <laughs> oh, it's okay, so a one bedroom flex. Okay, so let's yeah. just, like translate that for the people listening across the country. So that means it's actually a one bedroom that they've converted into a two. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> people outside of New York who haven't, I moved to Salt Lake City. And so when you haven't experienced what New York housing is like, <laughs> people are like, wait, what? <laughs> I know. They have all these fancy words for it. But yes, I my first apartment was a two bedroom flex, so we turned it into a three bedroom. It
0: never occurred to me that the first time I'd be living on my own, my roommate would be living basically in an open lidded shoebox in our living room, but that was that was what our version of the Manhattan dream was. So
1: everyone's version of the Manhattan dream, it's like I feel like I've talked to a lot of people who've moved out, and we talk about like what living in Manhattan, especially like the first couple of years, were like. Because I feel like everyone has their own story of what their first couple of years in New York. Because it's so tough; it's so hard to find mm-hmm. housing and a job, and you end up in these unique situations that I feel like you wouldn't experience in another city. Like, I think I know someone who had like bunk beds and in the studio. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's great. So then you'll—I mean—that's a nice chunk of change to be saving. Hmm. Okay. And so then what about um, like expenses? You have student loans or credit card or any of that, or what are you
0: Yeah. So I've got um, about 25,000 left on my student loan. So that's something I definitely am hoping to knock out, you know, in the nearer term. And then I carry a little bit of credit debt. Um, It basically was an expensive move to the city that I've now allowed to compound, Okay. Um, over the past couple of years. So I definitely want to get out from under that. I feel like this is sort of a unique opportunity to get rid of that.
1: Well, yeah, because your expenses should go down not being in the city because everything's just cheaper. Exactly. Um, okay, great. And then what about with work? Do you have a savings plan with them, a retirement plan? Yeah, so they do the traditional 401k, okay. which I
0: honestly just set up, I given that I just joined. Um, yeah. And then- there is, a, there is a Roth IRA option, but I've not touched that yet.
1: So the interesting thing that will be, and I don't know how exactly it's going to work with taxes, is as of right now, you're considered a New York City resident. So some people don't realize this, but you're going to pay New York City tax. They have a city tax. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to pay New York State state tax, and then you're going to pay federal tax. Mm-hmm. So as a, and you're a single filer, right? For taxes. Correct so as a filer you're going to be in a pretty high tax bracket with an income of 150 so i get a little bit of heat on this from the podcast i like to minimize taxes as much as possible um so the traditional 401k will allow you to reduce your taxes but i doing a roth being given your age as soon as you can start a roth that's ideal okay um so maybe i would say do half and half okay if you can how much did you start you set yourself up to start with the 401k what contribution are you at
0: right now I have it set at eight percent
1: and is there any match for them? I think they match up to five thousand um in okay. any given year okay um so that's something that's good and you're and that's already getting taken you I know you said you just set it up so that's already getting taken out of your paycheck the, fir- the first withdrawal will
0: be the next check so I haven't seen that in practice yet okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you did it all for the traditional. Yes. Okay, so that's so you're going to be averaging annual annualized so starting next year you'll do 12,000 in the traditional. What you could always do is you could always add a portion to the Roth, like what you would be allowed to contribute to a Roth outside of work. Um uh, because I believe I'd have to check the numbers again, but I believe you're you're making too much income to set up your own Roth IRA outside of work. So you could always just do it within the 401k. So you could do 12,000, which is your 8% uh, to the 401k traditional. And then you could always do 6,000 to the Roth portion of it. Because you're still within the means of the 401k. That only brings you to 18,000. But are you thinking about trying... You said you want to try and tackle the student loans first. I I think it just probably... I don't know. In, in trying to guess,
0: it feels like I should get out of the debt before going to that. But it, I just don't know the best plan in terms of trying to tackle both at the same time and how other people my age really manage that.
1: Yeah. Um, well, everyone does it a little bit differently. I think it's. I, I think it's a great idea to get out of New York and save yourself the sixteen hundred a month while you can. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that whole sixteen hundred a month you could put towards loans, right? Yes, in theory. Um, and then, what does your other expenses look like? Like, could you buckle down and get that paid off in like a year? Do you think? I think so. I think I should be able to. Because what are you bringing home about monthly? I know we have the new paycheck with the four hundred and one k that you haven't gotten yet. But what? Yeah.
0: what so right paid? now, I think I see about seventy three hundred, um, mm-hmm. pre counting in the four hundred and
1: one k. Yeah, pre four hundred and one k. So it's a big chunk of your of your budget but if you're not paying rent you could i think you could probably easily put 2000 towards it and then you have probably about 4500 left over mhm and then you'd be done in you know basically a year
0: yeah that sounds that sounds right plus i also like during bonus season to throw a little extra at it and do you make that a principal only payment when you do it so i don't i don't think i don't i do know what it is now i have not paid attention to it in the past but i also know that the all my student loans are in I don't know if it's deferment or forbearance until December 31st just because of COVID. So yeah. I'm trying to make like more of a an immediate plan ter, uh, as well
1: in terms of how much I can chunk it down before next yeah, year. Yeah, so right now they're not accruing interest, so that's great. So all of your loans qualified for the federal deferment. Yes, COVID. Okay, yeah. So then all of your money should be going to towards principal right now. Because they're not accruing interest. Yeah. So yeah, so the way it's structured is those student loans are pretty egregious, is that they calculate interest. And normally when you make a payment, it goes all, to, for most people, it goes all towards interest, very little of the principal for the way mm-hmm. they calculate it. It's not structured like a mortgage is. Um, they do what's called capitalization of interest with student loans, which is where if you have any unpaid interest, they add it back to your principal amount, and then they recalculate the interest on that number. Oh. Which is terrible. <laughs> Don't do that with your mortgage. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. So it is technically good debt because you use it for education, but if it's not managed properly, it can turn into what I would consider a bad debt because it's hard to get ahead of it. It can turn into like almost like where it's credit card, where it's just compounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for instance, a girl I met years ago, she'd been making four hundred dollar a month payments um, for ten years, and her loans were greater than when she started. Oh my goodness. I know. She was so confused. She was like, well, I haven't looked at it. I just, you know, I make the payment every month that comes in. I never missed a payment. How is it? How is it growing? And I'm like, well, because your interest rates are high and the payment they told you you needed to pay doesn't cover all of the interest. So they're taking the interest and adding it back to the amount borrowed and then calculating interest on that. So it's literally growing. I don't know that I even fully realized that either. No one does. They don't advertise it. It's somewhere in the fine fine print, which is terrible. But yeah, it's called capitalization of interest. So right now, because they're not calculating any interest or charging any interest, all of the money should be going towards principal. So the amount of money you can put towards it between now and when they, you know, if they don't extend the the deferment past, uh, you know, the end of the year, mm-hmm. then you'll make a huge impact on your loans because you're actually paying all of the principal at the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would put as much of it as you can between now and then, just and it'll help because then your payment will be less starting in January. Right. But I, I also think, I mean, because if you, even from January on, you could have this all tackled by the end of next year, the end of 2021, but it's just a commitment to budgeting, right? It's just saying I'm going to definitively put 2000 towards my loans. Right. And what's the, I'm sorry, what's the time frame on the 2000 towards the loans? It would take you about a year. To do it right, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of more of a personal preference of how much of your income you want to throw towards your loans.
0: Yeah, I think the so this has been what I've been operating under, and you can okay. put holes in this because you should. <laughs> <laughs> but I I was thinking that I would, you know, be leaseless, stay with family, throw as much <laughs> as I can at the principal through year end, which is mm-hmm. honestly about my entire income. Um, I don't. Have having much expenses at all.
1: Oh, perfect. So what do you think of your net monthly income? You think you could put like 5000 towards it? I think I could honestly get closer to 6000 Wow. Okay. Fantastic. I didn't... Okay. So that's... And do that for three months, right? October, November, December? Exactly. Perfect. So that's $18,000. Mm-hmm. And
0: then looking at the new year, I think the one big expense that I'll take back on is obviously rent. So mm-hmm. it's trying to decide, like, I need to make a plan for these other things before deciding what I can allocate to rent, whereas I usually admittedly do it the opposite way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, you should. Yes. Uh, it's always, I call it backwards, but it's really frontwards. Like, you're really going the right direction by, like, sitting down and being like, okay, here, here's where I want to put for savings and debt, and then this is what I should be spending on rent. But it's mm-hmm. usually, yeah, everyone does it the opposite way. Definitely. Deciding what, what kind of living situation you can be okay with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. If you can buckle down for the next three months and put 18000 towards your loans, I mean, that will make a huge... I mean, I think it'll be a game changer because mm-hmm. then you start the new year with 7000 left of student loans, which if you put 2000 a month out of your income towards it, you're done in basically three and a half months. Mm-hmm. After first quarter of 2021, you have no student loans. And then just think about that. It frees up all of your income is then your income. Yeah, it's like intoxicating. (laughs) (laughs) So for like basically a six month sacrifice, you now have a really great income with no debt, right? Mm -hmm. And I would challenge you to get your saving ratio from that point up higher where you're maxing out your 401k every year. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if you can max out your 401k, so next year you'll be, you'll probably still be 25 next year, right? By first quarter. <laughs> uh, no. So I'll turn, I turn 26 in December. Okay. So, okay. So then by 26, you have paid off your student loans right before you turn 27. You have all your student loans paid off and you get yourself up to maxing out the IRS limit with the 401k. That's huge. Mm-hmm. So can I just ask,
0: where would credit debt situate itself in that plan? Would it so be- how-
1: How much do you, how much do you have in credit card debt? 15,000. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah, I know. That was a little higher than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's going to be more than six months. So what I would say is how do you feel about staying at your, staying with family? Maybe not till end of December, but maybe for four months that is what i was going to ask. So the the door is open, which is the good right. news. <laughs>
0: um and they happen. they would probably like me to stay longer. So that i don't worry about that at all, but i'm trying to make a model in my head of, you know, does staying through what if we call it March? Yeah, i was just going to say that. Mhm. Meaningfully change the numbers cuz if so, like if i can just make these goals more tangible, i think i have such an anxiety in tackling it. But if I could like sit down and commit to the goals and kind of map it out on a time frame, then I have no problem sticking to it.
1: Okay, I think that if you can commit, yeah, so let's say you have a total total debt load of 40,000, right? But the great news here is you have great income and no real going forward, you could potentially have no real expenses, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you can commit to 6,000, even if it's 5,500 and you take, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 a month, for you know to travel do something right cuz you're staying with your family. Mm-hmm. You can do I mean I think the key is really if you can do 7 months and you're doing, you know, $6,000 a month, that's your number. Mm-hmm. Then you're done. Okay. Then you have you've at that point 42,000. So I'm giving you a little bit of room for error here, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> In case you have a month where you get an Airbnb for a week cuz you want to break <laughs> for your family. So I'm giving you a little bit of leeway there. But in seven months, if you can, your goal should be $6,000 a month, you will have all your credit card and all your student loans paid off. Mm-hmm. I, If I were you and I were in your shoes and I was 25 about to be 26, it's a very small period of your life to make a very big impact on the rest of your financial life. Exactly, and and I'm willing to do that and make the sacrifice. I
0: feel like it's a no
1: brainer, and it's a,
0: a gift we're being given with the current environment. There's so mm-hmm. many negatives, but this might be the one positive. But I just, in terms of structurally attacking that, do you make the minimums on the credit debt while maximizing against the student loan through year end, and then take a more balanced approach in 2021, or how would you do it?
1: So where where are your interest rates? What's your interest rate for your credit card?
0: Or your credit cards? I, I think it's 23% APR. Hi. It's, high. it's really
1: it's high. Really That's high. why i exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So, and what are your student loans? Right now you have no interest on your loans until January. But what, what is... Do you know approximate interest rates on your loans? I think it might be 6%. Okay. So then, therefore, we need to start with the, the credit card is your higher and is currently accruing interest, right? The student mm-hmm. loans are not currently accruing interest. So what I would do is starting... Because you can get the credit cards paid off basically in a little over two months,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I would make. If you do, you get bonus at year end, or do you get bonus in first quarter. First quarter. Okay, that's what I thought. Being an ex finance person myself, <laughs> okay. um, I would start with the credit cards and get those totally knocked out because okay. that's currently accruing interest, and it's a very high rate of twenty three percent. Okay. Then I would focus on getting. I would try and get, you know, the last half of December, that money, once the credit card is paid off, you'll have extra money in December. I would put that as a principal payment on the student loans and then go full throttle on the student loans from that point on. Okay. And then you should get those done in the next four months. Okay. And then you can have a nice celebration because you'll be debt free in seven months. Absolutely. I'm so excited.
0: And I'm willing to put, I mean, you could tell me it was going to take a year and I'm excited to do it. I feel like this is sort of a hinge point in our... Not young adult anymore. Lives, Um, so um, hopefully I can you know go there and get it done. I'm treating it like rehab. I feel like,
1: (laughs) yeah. And you should say I'm doing this for basically seven months, and then when I'm done with this seven months, because then you could take it. Let's say you hit the numbers on the head, and it's the exact forty thousand, and you have the extra two, you can use that to start an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. And then what I would do at that point, you'll go out and move, but you still have really really good income. I would then take. Money monthly and set up an emergency fund for yourself. Okay. So that when you need to move or if something comes up, it doesn't end up on a credit card. Mm-hmm. Right. Because as you know, the credit card is a vicious cycle because they charge so much interest. It's hard yeah. to get out underneath it without making a big change. So I would then, from once you get that done, I would then set up a, a comfortable emergency fund for yourself. And honestly, mm-hmm. once you get in these habits of tackling debt, you're going to be very good on a budget, right? Because you're going to have made. You're going to have st- ch- done such extreme budgeting that then going back and living on five thousand of your income versus seven isn't going to be a huge obstacle. Mm-hmm. When you go extreme, it's easier to ease your way back in. To come so back I would do an emergency yeah. yeah, to come back from that. Because it's habit, right? Budgeting is a habit. If you develop the habit of having control over your finances, it's something that will stay with you the rest of your life.
0: Mm-hmm. And can I ask, how would you categorize comfortable for an emergency fund, like as a percentage of total comp in any given year? What should that really be?
1: No, it should really be. Um, it should be based on your expenses. So, let's say you go in and get an apartment, um, and it's two thousand dollars a month, and you need another thousand for basically. Um, all of your necessities, right? So cell Mm -hmm. phone, food, not eating out, but like actual grocery store food. Um, I would say you want to shoot for a minimum of three months of those expenses, but up to six. Okay. That if you lose your job, you're not then forced to... You know, try and find a subletter for your apartment, and you, you don't want to put food on a credit card, right? Right. So then, that way, God forbid you lost your job, you have ideally six months of money that you can get by on until you get another job. Okay, that makes sense. And then I really would challenge you because you have very good income, and now that we're going to get the debt paid off in seven months, and then it, let's say in theory, in the next following three months, you get yourself set up with a comfortable emergency fund. I would challenge you with your income to max out the the 401k at work. And I would okay. split it between the traditional and the Roth, but I would do the full IRS limit while you can, cuz the more money that you can get saved in your retirement before 30 the better. Okay. And and the reasoning I say that before 30 is because now let's say 26, let's say you get 20,000 in there and then at 27 you put another we're just going to use our round numbers. You know, twenty thousand approximately with the match, and then at twenty-eight another twenty, then twenty-nine another twenty, and then by thirty you have another twenty, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have a hundred thousand, give or take, with no market growth between. By the time you're thirty, those dollars should, if you're making seven point two percent compounding interest, which is a reasonable return for a growth-oriented investment, right? Mm-hmm. Should double every ten years right? So now because you got all that money in there by 30, even if you don't add another dollar to that, at 40, it should be worth 200000 At 50, it should be worth 400000 And at 60, it should be worth 800000 And if you give it one more double to the time you're 70, it should be $1.6 million. Wow. In theory, front load at your retirement. Mm-hmm. So then let's say at 35, you get married and you have kids And, you know, you can't afford to do the full max. Well, then you can lower it because you already know that because you, you know, maxed it out from now, well, next year till 30, you know that at 70, if everything goes according to plan, you should have over a million there. Mm -hmm. And people will say a million dollars isn't enough. Right. But I'd rather have a million than not have it. I'm not going (laughs) to turn it down. Me too. Everyone always says that to me. And it's like, well, if someone walked up to me and said, here's a million dollars, I wouldn't say, well, it's not really enough money. No, thank you. Like, (laughs) well, yes, it'd be great if you had four, but a million's a great starting point.
0: (laughs) Right. So, what do you think the right number is by 30 to make it immediate?
1: Do you think it's the 100,000 number? Mm hmm. Okay. They say that you're supposed to have saved, I think, by 31 times your salary. Okay. You know, but everything is personal, right? Not everybody, maybe that number doesn't mean you have student loans. Maybe it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. I think getting all of your loans paid off and credit card debt in the next seven months is fantastic. And then you definitely need an emergency fund because you don't want to end up with credit card debt in the future. Right. Um, And I think you have enough time by 30 if you max out the 401k between now and then with the match and investments. I think you'll probably be over a hundred, but I would shoot for that. Okay. And then that way you've no no matter what happened in your career down the road, you kind of already have a nice chunk of change waiting for you at retirement. So for instance, if you want to go start a business in your thirties and you don't save for a couple of years, it's not as big of a deal because you've, you really focused on it in your twenties, which most people don't do. Right. Yeah. It seems like
0: I'm so, it, it's such a funny thing because I feel like I do have a very healthy income for my age. But mm-hmm. to feel like I'm there, but I'm still living paycheck to paycheck is something that I'm just so done feeling like. So it's sometimes hard to think about how do I want 70-year-old, or excuse me, <laughs> to be positioned.
1: Yeah. And that's why, and that's why we call it future-rich because it's not always attainable for today, but you can for sure set yourself up in the future by just making some small tweaks and kind of reallocating things today. And it can make a huge difference for the future. Huge mm-hmm. difference. Um and to give you an idea that's just based if it's 7.2% compounding. So I did the same thing for myself. I did it a little bit younger. So I started in my early 20s and then I bought this business in my late 20s, so wasn't able to save quite as much, but I had the same goal. Like I wanted to just front load that retirement. I figured everybody was young. Nobody was making like huge money. Right. So like drinking Trader Joe's two buck Chuck was like what I was going to do anyway. Mm -hmm. So I might as well, the difference for me was like, I either could maybe afford a few Ubers and a couple nights out or none. So I just chose none because I'd rather just be extreme and get it all over with. So I maxed everything out, but my numbers, my 401k, I think was like around a hundred at 20. No, maybe it was more. Everyone is. Anyway, it's almost three hundred thousand that I haven't okay. added to it, and I'm thirty six. Wow, I know it's crazy, right? I understand what you're saying about being extreme, though. Like, I, I feel like I'm at the point where I would rather say none to the Ubers too. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's if you if you know what it's going to be worth, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. If that makes sense, right? It's one thing to say I'm not able, I can't afford to take these, and the you know, I I can't afford to take an Uber, I can't afford to go to dinner. But it's not that you can't afford it. It's you're choosing not to, to have a different outcome. It's a right. choice.
0: And this is the first time it feels like I'm really giving myself a gift versus
1: locking it down. I just am ch- trying to choose to think about it in a different way. Yeah, it's all mindset. So you're just choosing to be debt-free in seven months. You're not saying that you you could absolutely have an apartment and you could be spending money, but you're choosing to be debt-free in seven months. Right. Because then that's a, that's a very freeing experience because then going forward, right, all of that money is yours. You don't have that obligation hanging over you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think you can definitely do it. And I think it's nice that it's shorter. I think it, for me, it seems it can be harder when it's like a five-year plan, right? That's a long time to stick to something. Seven right. months, I feel like you can put your head down and get it done. And you're going to see the effect of it. Like every month you're going to see. A That's huge what I'm so excited about. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have a huge reduction. But then I would definitely, I would definitely focus on the four hundred one k once you get an emergency fund set up. I think it's a huge opportunity to have good income and no debt and be, you know, a few years away from thirty. That's so crazy.
0: You'll have to have me back in seven months, and we can see if I if I <laughs> held true or not. Yeah, I
1: would <laughs> love it. You can be one of our follow up guests for twenty twenty one. We're gonna start recording again in January. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> not yet, but have, I will be. <laughs> okay. Do you have any other questions?
0: I think the only other thing that I would ask, and I, I feel like you kind of spoke to this, but I think I understand the order in which you're saying to tackle these things. But for the immediate term, should I be at 8% with the 401k or should I pair that back a little bit while I tackle you know, the more immediate needs and then ramp that up next year?
1: I would leave it where it is and see because you did the pre-tax, so it's not going to be as much because you're in a very high bracket. So mm-hmm. what you're going to miss from your paycheck isn't going to be as much as you think it is, right? Okay. Because all that money goes in pre-tax. So I would leave that for now and see how you do with the 401k. And if it feels like you can't get it done fast enough, then you could bump it down. Okay. But I think you'll be okay with it just because of the tax bracket you're in. Okay. That makes sense. Because you're paying three sets of taxes. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness. <laughs> another reason to get out of Manhattan for a little bit. another, seven, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the other thing is seven months out of the city lands me technically residency elsewhere. So at least that's out of the whatever percent Manhattan city tax.
1: Well, it will be interesting to see if they will do it that way. Sometimes it's based on like for instance, if you lived in New Jersey and commuted into Manhattan for work, you still pay a New York City tax. Oh really? So, yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? So then you if for instance I lived in Hoboken for a bit. So when I commuted into New York to work on Wall Street, I paid New York City tax. I paid New Jersey tax. And then you're federal. So yeah, they still got you. If you if you work and earned your money in New York City, you pay a New York City tax. They still got you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to do it with a a remote workforce. Like how is the tax situation going? I'm not a CPA, so I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see like, will like if you're residing in the South in a state uh, where there is no state taxation, does that work? Mm -hmm. Or because the company's headquartered in Manhattan, are you still going to get caught with Manhattan tax? Yeah, so it'll be interesting. But I do think it's a good idea if you can have residency somewhere else. Hopefully that will save you some money. Right. I'll definitely look into that with work. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And for our lovely listeners, our most up-to-date information you can find on Plinangel at on Instagram. And you can check out our free online classes in partnership with SUNY Ulster at www.planential.com.